Hi everyone. <laughs> Welcome back. Don't <laughs> <laughs> know how do these things normally start. Well, hello everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the third instalment of the Orca Board. Thank you for joining us again. If you are a returning listener. If not, why not? If not, thank you for joining for your first instalment. Um, I hope you stay around. We've got some uh, some great people lined up that we're looking forward to interviewing and some good topics that I'm sure will arise for future Nathan and Phoebe to talk about. I love this bit because you just ramble so much. <laughs> I'm great at doing that. Uh, yeah, the, this section, I always forget what we actually do in this section. This is like new to ocean yeah. uh, news or yeah, what's the, going on with us? There was a section, I called it in the first podcast. I can't remember what it was and I remembered it after we did the last one. I was so annoyed at myself. We need like a punny intro for this bit. It like, was a punny intro, yeah. like the, the current new, affairs. Current affairs. Yes. There you go. Current affairs, because we deal with currents. Thank you Have for you got some mansplaining ac- that one, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got a current affair you'd like to? I do. To table. I do. Please. I just. I mean, this is what I do about two minutes before we start this podcast: is frantically search for a news story. You mean spend a good solid couple of hours researching what yes, to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. <laughs> but one thing I did just see is um, I'm looking at my phone for quick notes. Um, in mid-January this year, there was an international effort led by Seabed 2030, and their plan is to entirely, precisely, entirely map the ocean floor, which I thought was really cool. I don't know how they're going to do very this. Very interesting. But. Um, yeah, because, well, allegedly we know more about the solar system or something. Mm. I, I'm not an astrologist or, no, astronomer, because astrologist is stars and... Yeah, that's like horoscopes, horoscopes and stuff, and isn't stuff. it? Star signs. I'm not very clued up on astronomy, but I heard somewhere that we know more about the outer space than we do about our own oceans. That might yeah. just be a throwaway comment, but we certainly don't know very much. Well, I think the deep oceans and stuff, they're still so unknown. And Like, I've always enjoyed learning about the way that deep sea species are adapted and mm. the things that they do with their eyes are just so weird and their mouths and, yeah. yeah so straight. There could be absolutely anything down there. And chances are there's thousands of species mm. we'll nev- likely never see or perhaps won't see for a very long time that won't they pop up and think, what on? Earth, quite literally, is that? <laughs> well, no, what on ocean is yeah. that? One thing I did see in that story, though, was that the vehicle they're using is 6,000 metre rated, so hmm. I don't know how that's going to work when we're looking at like, the Mariana Trench. It's just kind but... of taken a blind eye. Oh, yeah, it doesn't exist. It's actually only yeah. 4,000 metres or deep. Is it that there's nothing down there so the sonar will travel that far? Like the, because it's a multi-beam sonar they're going to use, mm. I think. I, I don't know. Is that what happens? Well, maybe, Can it travel that far? Maybe they're using... They're, planning when, when was it that 2030 they're doing it before the end of the decade they won't okay. have it all finished yeah. well maybe they're doing up to 6,000 meters for the time being until they've got a 10,000 meter one rated maybe and confirmed and then they'll move to using that one instead mm. well it's, it's the vehicle rather than sonar that's not yeah the vehicle 6,000 meters so maybe they're just waiting to make a more robust vehicle for it maybe maybe who knows maybe. i don't know <laughs> i wonder how much litter they're going to find at the deepest depths because didn't they find like a plastic bottle or something in like challenger deep of mariana's trench i don't know but i i remember when we when i did my masters they said that the most prevalent thing they see in deep waters is like cling film like balls of cling film which is yeah that's horrendous isn't it i know i'm quite glad i don't use cling film anymore for that reason me too have you got the have you got the stretchy wrap Oh, you got beeswax? Yeah, that's what it is, beeswax wrap thing. Oh, okay. 
But you've got to, like, put it in the oven to dry it. and oh, It's, it's weird. <laughs> I've got, like, this stretchy silicon sets that... It, the main thing I used, like, cling film stuff was, like, if you've got half an onion. Mm. But I've got... It's like a stretchy um, silicon thing. And you stretch it over and it kind of grips onto the onion. And they, you've got them as different sizes. You can have one for a lemon, one for an onion, one for... I, I have know. to get talking about covering <laughs> our lemons. and. <laughs> but they're really useful because then you don't have to buy cling film. And then it doesn't end up in our oceans and that brought it back to... Saving the saving oceans that. one lemon at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Swiftly moving on. Swiftly um, moving on. I don't, I don't, any other current affairs you've got, Nathan? Or? Um, well, we talked... Um, we were having a conversation earlier with special visitors that we had at RS Aqua about the new reef that got discovered mm. off of the coast of Tahiti, Tahiti which is really exciting. Um, yeah, obviously, any new reef being discovered is a wonderful thing. Obviously, both lovers of coral reef ecosystems, but certainly one that's in pristine condition, which is pretty hard to come by these days. Amazing with the current climate. And, yeah, exactly. I mean... So- I've been fortunate to dive in quite a few places and the only place, well, certainly before El Nino, I saw a couple of very, very, very nice reefs um, in the Indian Ocean. But a couple of years back, I was diving on the Great Barrier and I dived right at the southern tip where the water was about 23 degrees and I've never seen coral like it. It was, it was incredible. Like the amount of aquaporal coral, which is the most delicate, mm was insane like I've, I'd not seen that at all while working abroad but then I went kind of halfway up the reef and although we still all the fish and the turtles and the sharks etc just completely different landscapes all the coral is well not all but a lot of the coral species have been affected so you're just so exotic I'm like I went diving in Bobster Keen Froome in Somerset <laughs> <laughs> so I've never dived in the UK you know it's cold I had a leaky dry suit as well. So. Oh, no one's a leaky dry I, I would suit. stick to the Maldives, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, well, I like being in the water in the UK. Yeah. I'm one. I got wet too, but hopefully this year we'll get out, do a bit of the... Get uh, back out on the boards. On the boards, a bit, mm. of, a bit of diving, maybe even a bit of sea search, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Yep, Fingers that. crossed. Let's see. Right, shall we, uh, shall we move on to our interview section? Absolutely, yeah. We shall let... Uh, past or future Phoebe and Nathan introduce past? our guest for this week. Th- it would definitely be past because we've just filmed it. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. So past Phoebe and Nathan will now be introducing our podcast guest for the week. Take it away. So today we have a particularly special guest, no other than our own Malcolm Johnston. So for those of you who don't know, Malcolm joined RS Aqua in January 2021 as our sales manager at Mr. ROV and he single-handedly holds down our Scottish offices up in Aberdeen. Welcome, Malcolm. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. How are you doing today? Um, good. Good. <laughs> yeah, the sun's shining and it puts a smile on everybody's faces. So yeah, great. Fantastic. Have you enjoyed yourself this week down in uh, down in Portsmouth? Yeah, I I love Portsmouth, uh, and every time I come down here, it's great fun and also very hard work. But uh, that's what it's all about. Yeah, so we're certainly working hard. On Wednesday, we had our uh, our summer <laughs> outing out on the yachts. We were all having a go yes. sailing, and uh, things got quite. Competitive because we had the two yachts together, but no, excellent fun. Um, so, yeah, we'll just jump straight in. So, Malcolm, I mean, we know who you are and what you do, but for the purpose of the audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? 
Okay, I was employed by RS Aqua and um, I was employed as a senior sales manager for uh, maritime uh, side of the industry with um, the objective of developing the, uh, or one of the objectives was to develop the robotics and autonomy side of the business where RS Aqua uh, see uh, this has been a great potential for, for moving forward and expanding their, their business. Excellent. So, so in terms of the robotics inside of things, obviously we know you have a lot of experience uh, in this sector. How did you get into the industry in that respect? Well, actually, um, my first uh, venture um, into in, into my career, I started off uh, as a trainee life support uh, technician uh, offshore in the diving industry. Um, I'd always dreamed of uh, wanting to work uh, offshore as a boy. Uh, and uh, going to work in a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> also selling ROVs with Forum, um, that uh, was a very important part uh, of, of my career, uh, gaining my degree in electrical and electronic engineering as a mature student. That was also uh, certainly uh, one of it, a few of the highlights of, of my career. Excellent. Oh, yeah. So what would you say the, uh, the most pinpoint pivotal moment of your career actually was? Hmm. If you could pin it down to one thing. Well, um, I think probably gaining my degree actually as a mature yeah. student, that was a tremendous achievement for me. Um, and uh, I, I started out, um, I started out uh, doing um, a bit of um, uh, electronics and uh, electrical uh, bits and pieces of a hobby. Mm. Uh, and I never thought that I could actually get any, any uh, distance at all. Uh, in uh, in academia, uh, but uh, so I started off doing a, 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 a diploma in uh, electronic engineering part time, and all of a sudden I realised that uh, the maths weren't wasn't so much of a challenge as I thought. Um, three years later, I was doing third fourth year engineering uh, maths at university and absolutely revelling in it. <laughs> Uh, and I just loved my time at university. Um, it was quite nice as well, the fact that I was uh, sitting as um, a mature student with three others and uh, <laughs> managing to keep up with the younger bucks in the, uh, in, in the university. Uh, and uh, yeah, so um, yeah, that was, that, that was a proud moment in my life when I graduated. It was really great. Which uni was that at? Robert Gordon University in Aberdeen. Mm -hmm. Um, fantastic time we had, and also the just learning about the, the you know the the, the um, learning about everything and being you know um, uh, the academia was just fantastic. But we have to move on. We can't be a student all our lives. Yeah, we do try. Exactly. Um, and um, so I moved out from from uh, gaining uh, my degree and graduated graduating. I moved into the oil industry, mm -hmm. and. Um, well, that was about 25 years ago now, um, so you're probably trying to work out my age, but I'm sure you've already done that. So, <laughs> I've been in the industry quite a long time, so, yeah. Great. And uh, obviously, having been stationed up in Scotland for your studies and your work, and now obviously you're permanently our uh, mem affiliate member up at, well, not affiliate, but our, uh, our satellite office up in Scotland. What's it like being up there, just, uh, just yourself? Is it 
do you feel sometimes that you want to be down here or is it um are you yeah I, it I i i i would be lying if i did if i said i, I didn't feel isolated from time to time mm. uh but uh since starting um you know communication is a great thing and uh teams is a second best i never i could never substitute teams or uh, zoom or whatever uh, as a as a an ideal substitute for meeting face to face particularly because i've been in the sales business for a long time mm. now and uh i think face to face is very important uh when you're speaking to customers but um, you guys have been all very, very supportive to me. Um, you're, you're a great bunch of guys, uh, and uh, I think it's actually working quite well um, with, uh, with me up in Scotland. I think my, um, my position up there is uh, very important uh, because uh, quite a lot of uh, robotics and autonomy um, takes place in the oil and gas industry. I've been in the oil and gas industry now for almost 35 years. Uh, and I've got a lot of contacts, uh, and it's important that I've got easier access to these mm-hmm. uh, uh, customers uh, than I would have down here. Absolutely. And I think it's also important that I can be a linchpin um, to uh, being an ideal link between what's happening down here with you guys and, and uh, involvement uh, in that side of the industry up in, in, in Aberdeen. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite good as well. I mean, I've got a bit of a... Um, an autonomy up there where I can uh, run my own business um, when you guys aren't on the phone and saying, have you done this, have you done that? You know? <laughs> but uh, that's good. It's good. From, from, your, uh, from your castle up there. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, I live at the back of a castle. I don't actually live in a castle. <laughs> I wouldn't like anybody watching this podcast to think that um, RS Hacker were paying me far too much money because it's... <laughs> Well, no, it, you raise very valid points. The conversations that we have on a day-to-day basis, it's, it's great that a lot of our um, contacts are up in Scotland, as you say. So it's yeah. great that you're able to, instead of picking up the phone or email, it's great you're able to go and see these people in person. And it's mm-hmm. great that it's able to happen more now that with the country opening up a lot more yes. than the last year or had. I won't say the, the sea buzzword. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, it's excellent. Yeah, I think as well, um, important, uh, in, in, when, you, when you're working with uh, remote uh, locations, uh, whether it's Aberdeen or whatever, and you're not uh, tied in directly with the, with the head office, we have our daily sales uh, get-togethers in a very, very informal session uh, every day and um, over Teams, and it actually works very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important that we all work together uh, and by having these uh, daily meetings on a very informal basis through teams, um, you know, we keep very much in touch with what's going on uh, in each other's little worlds. So, um, yeah. I also think there's, um, since the year and the sort of move towards the technology that we've been doing, although there's a lot of value in seeing somebody face to face, there's a lot more customers or people and salespeople that are much more accessible than what they were a year ago. So people in New Zealand, people in Australia, people in India that we can talk to and see face-to-face that we wouldn't normally have been able to have those conversations with. Definitely. There's definitely definitely advantages to both sides. And hybrid life, I think, is the way to go. One of the key things, certainly one of our... um, our partners we work with is a company called Subsea Imaging. For those that don't know, we're um, who are partnered out of Newfoundland, the manufacturers of um, cameras, lasers, lights uh, for imaging and drop toe applications uh, to come soon. Um, and we've been able to facilit- uh, facilitate demonstrations over Microsoft Teams or Zoom yes. that we certainly two years ago would never have been able to happen. You would have had to go to Newfoundland to go and have a look at them potentially or go to a show that's happening and wait 
for that time to, to have a demonstration of the equipment whereas now we can facilitate obviously folks that yeah. want to see this this technology straight onto teams and there you go there's the equipment straight there Although a trip to Newfoundland wouldn't go amiss, oh, that'd be quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. uh, no, I think that's important. We we are actually working very well together. It almost pulls us together a bit closer, I think, mm -hmm. as a as a as a as a team in in the department uh, where we can where we can uh, join in and do a joint demonstration eight seven hundred miles apart mm -hmm. uh, to a particular customer, and I think that's good. Um, and I think some of uh, the, uh, maybe a daunting experience for some people because they're so used to doing a, a team's presentation um, that if they go back to face-to-face -to -face across the table, it requires a slightly different approach. Uh, yes. But the principles are still the same, but it may be a bit daunting until people get more back into that. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, as we move out of COVID, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to get back to normal and go and speak to customers, which is something that I absolutely love doing. So, um, yeah. So, as you say, being in the industry for a long, 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 long time, <laughs> what would you say is in the most recent years the most important development in the marine equipment or research that you've seen and taken away from? I think what's exciting for me is uh, the development of uh, robotics and autonomy in marine science. Uh, and I feel very lucky and privileged to be able to combine both of these two uh, areas uh, as part of my job. And I, and, and I think uh, marine uh, robotics and autonomy is going places and it links in well with um, my 10-15 um, years uh, in the ROV industry. Uh, and it's quite an exciting prospect as we move forward uh, to be in a position where I can develop uh, the um, marine and robotics side of the industry which complements uh, marine science. Uh, I think there's huge opportunities uh, to uh, to help the environment. I know that sounds a bit cliched, but um, it's it's quite true. And uh, I'm actually passionate about the environment. Um, and uh, um, I, you know, it's it's a tremendously uh, exciting um, area, which I'm looking forward to progressing uh, as we as we move forward and start mm -hmm. building our client base with these things in mind. Mm -hmm. And bearing that in mind, where do you see the most important development in marine science technology sector in the next few years to come? Um, I I think that uh, as we I think that getting back to this uh, robotics and autonomy side of the business, I think that's where um, there's there's a, a greater fusion between that and marine sciences. It's growing. Um, the the scientific community are beginning to realise the value of um, particularly our small ROVs. Um, and also um, AUVs, SUVs as a platform for uh, mounting uh, various sensors for monitoring uh, the the um, the ocean um, the oceans of the world. Mm. I think that's um, that's a really exciting area, whether it's AUVs, SUVs, or whatever. Um, and I see things heading as the scientists get more aware of uh, technology itself. Um, we'll move forward in an area where uh, th th this will see um, a big impact mm. uh, on, on the science community. And I think we've got a, a, a part to play uh, in this, and I say with the greatest of respect, educating our scientists in, in these matters. There are one or two scientists which I've come across in six months who are very knowledgeable. Uh, and I think there are quite a lot, uh, still a lot to go down to cover, which, which we can all um, get involved in um, 
And that's quite nice for me because I'm actually um, predominantly oil and gas. Mm -hmm. And having the opportunity to move into another environment that I feel passionate about is absolutely fantastic. So I do consider myself very, very lucky uh, in coming and working for RSE, that we can uh, move forward in that area, together with you guys as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Uh, I think there's so much benefit in the fact that we've come from very slightly different backgrounds and the sort of value that brings to our business and what we can provide as solutions for other people, but also the autonomous equipment and the way that that is going to help explore areas of the ocean that we haven't explored before and also mm. adding valuable data to already pre-existing baseline data and the way that we can reflect on that going forward will make such a difference to Definitely. the environment. And, and although I'm first person to go and get out in the field and collect data because ultimately as scientists that's the that's the fun bit but the obviously there is so much benefit to be had from a um, an economic and well, primarily environmental side uh, by using autonomy and robotics to get access into the field you don't have to spend so much money on vessels mm -hmm. uh, time um, time for the crew money for the crew etc you've got so much more data to your to your wheelhouse and you're yeah. um, seeing all these benefits yeah and I, I think as well um, we've had the foresight at RS Aqua to realise the opportunities uh, in a commercial sense for, for the, the company but also in an environmental sense by growing partnerships with one or two uh, or I should say put it another way not so much one or two but we are looking um, and we're working strongly with developing partnerships with some incredible companies who have got some fantastic pieces of kit uh, in terms of AUVs, SUVs, uh, which we're, um, we're uh, building relationships with and uh, putting ourselves in a strong position to represent these companies and sell across not just the marine science uh, uh, community but also the oil and gas uh, community as well. So it's, it's great, it's an exciting time mm -hmm. for RSA. Mm. I think there's a lot of value in really strengthening that sort of link between academia and industry. Yes. And as soon as that happens, you'll get more and more research going through, and that's where. Definitely. That's yeah, it's a win-win situation all round, mm -hmm. to be quite honest. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, I, I certainly find it very, very refreshing dealing with. Uh, sorry, dealing's probably the wrong word. <laughs> working, <laughs> working yes. with the with working with the marine science environmental uh, uh, business. Uh, uh, as opposed to uh, my existing work and my experience in oil and gas. Uh, the, the, the selling features are still the same, but the techniques are maybe slightly different. <laughs> so what is a similar question to what we've already asked? What is a really novel sort of application for a piece of equipment you've seen, whether it's an ROV in the aquaculture industry, or what do you think is a real benefit to an ROV? Or well, I think I think reducing the carbon footprint is um, uh, is, is very important. Uh, mm -hmm. And by um, if you're uh, if you're using an ROV to uh, or any kind of uh, uh, platform unmanned platform, um, you're reducing the carbon footprint in mm -hmm. terms of the the um, diving uh, is a very dangerous uh, occupation, and it's very very expensive, and. Both the, um, I think, the marine science uh, business and oil and gas, certainly in the, in the wind industry, they've realised the importance in the wind industry of reducing carbon footprint, saving money, um, 
and also uh, using uh, autonomous platforms rather than uh, divers uh, as being a much safer um, uh, way of doing things mm -hmm. uh, and also cheaper. So I think there's tremendous opportunities um, to, uh, to move forward in that area. Excellent. So slightly different tack of question, but kind of still related. Um, obviously being in the ocean and well, aquatic technology center, uh, sector, we have a close and important connection with the marine environment and obviously freshwater environment to an extent as well. Um, what do you see as what one of the or all the greatest threat to the oceanic environment and what do you think is one area that as a whole we really need to prove on yeah. as a society to help preserve the oceans as best we can? Yeah, I, I, my, my opinion is formed in the fact that I'm an engineer, not a scientist. So um, in, 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 with the, in the greatest of uh, respect uh, to you guys, um, my, my approach probably is slightly more technical. Uh, but I, I would uh, judge carbon emissions uh, and the effect it has on climate change and global warming to be uh, one of the most uh, important factors that uh, we should be looking at. Mm -hmm. Um, I do applaud the British government uh, uh, to support targets, you know, which are um, are being set. Uh, but it's not just to do with cutting oil and gas production in the North Sea. I mean, what is the what is the point in um, cutting oil and gas production when there's still a demand for it in the North Sea? When you've got to cart a, a big oil tanker all the way around the world to provide uh, the to to meet the oil and gas requirements uh, mm -hmm. and the effect that that's got on carbon emissions. Um, and I think it's not just uh, I think it's not just the UK, uh, it's just not just the UK and the Western world's responsibility uh, to cut emissions. It's also got a lot to do with um, third world countries. Their emissions are absolutely horrendous, and we should be applying um, we should be applying a lot of pressure on third world companies, whether it, countries, whether it's um, reducing um, emissions from uh, power production or deforestation. The rainforests are a massively valuable asset uh, to the world in cutting carbon emissions, and I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Mm. It's sometimes quite a delicate subject because obviously we've had the chance to move yeah. through that development, and now we're yes. classed as a developing country where they are saying, "Oh, well, you've done it. Why can't we?" So it's 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 something I agree. We need to be focused more on trying to educate them that we need to not cut out that part but look at better ways to develop yeah and I, I think that's very important Nathan that, that, that's a very very important point I mean um, we sh it doesn't just stop uh, it was deforestation um, if you look at the amount of methane gas that's produced by agriculture mm -hmm. now agriculture yes. is considered as being a, um, a very very green industry well it is green uh, but it's still producing massive gas mm -hmm. emissions now I'm a believer of um, if, if something's broken, don't replace it, but fix it, yeah. you know? And I think in that area, there are options that are available to the agriculture industry in the medium to long term to cut um, emissions. And that doesn't just mean, um, you know, getting rid of livestock, um, biomass uh, energy production, something else. So I think that, I think that uh, the future is very positive. Uh, in um, in the environment, uh, and mm. it doesn't get me depressed. But we have to be able to have the knowledge and foresight to be able to do um, to do the, the the right thing uh, to take advantage of everything that's available mm. to us. Indeed, and you raise a very good point actually about the the North Sea cutting the oil and gas completely. Um, I 
I think it was a, a it was either an interview or a podcast that Elon Musk had done, and he was asked if he was able to remove all um, petrol cars or something about something to do with um, uh, gas powered vehicles or whatever. If they could remove all of those cars or the if they could ban, uh, might have been if he could ban them tomorrow, would he? And he said flat out no. It was a although it. It's good that he's obviously, and a lot of companies are producing more um, electric vehicles or those um, production methods that are more economically and environmentally sustainable. It's not a sustainable idea to cut things out straight away. There needs to be a gradual. Yes. There needs to be what? I think it's a very sorry to cut. I mean, no, no. Um, a very like chicken and egg situation, isn't it? It's who does it first? Is it the car company? Is it the government? Is it who is the person to make that first move to start the ball and make exactly. it make the changes? It's getting the ball rolling, but if you take the the floor from underneath the ball, then it breaks, doesn't it? Yeah. You could introduce all the electric cars right now, but if there's nowhere to charge your electric car That's or anything like that, it's you know. It will not, take time, but it, it's something that needs to be done, but can't yeah. be done immediately. Away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's great to get into a topical conversation and discussion when you're speaking to. Uh, two very clever marine scientists because it always <laughs> it always gets very intelligent. It's a bit different uh, when you're speaking uh, to the oil and gas community because things are very technical and cut and dry. So great, I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. So sorry, that's okay. Um, I was getting a bit into that one then. So um, Malcolm, you mentioned you touched on diving earlier, yeah. and we know uh, we found out. So on Tuesday night, we all stayed on a boat together, we had some pizza, we had some beers, and we started talking about um, Malcolm's career in commercial diving, and I find it personally very fascinating, and as Nathan and I are recreational divers ourselves, what is the, I mean, I know there's a lot of differences, but what would you say is the overriding difference, and would you recommend it, would you, yeah, tell me all about it. (laughs) I'll try and keep it brief. (laughs) Because <laughs> as we find out on Wednesday night, I try to, after a few beers, trying to remember my younger days. I, I used to do a bit of recreational diving myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I think that's quite an important aspect of being able to uh, make the comparison. Um, and I can safely say that the, um, uh, the only thing that commercial and recreational diving have in common is uh, diving physiology. Mm-hmm. Um, in my day, uh, if you were a commercial diver, you did it for one reason, and that was for the money. Certainly not for going down and looking at the environment in a scientific uh, um, way. It was a dangerous job. In the 70s, there were a lot of fatalities. Um, Thankfully, the mortality uh, rate has dropped considerably nowadays. as Safety standards have improved and training's also improved as well. Um, I think my overriding... I've got a lot of memories, um, but I think... um, the most important thing that uh, that I can keep from my days as a life support technician, now I must stress I wasn't a, a diver, I was a life support technician, um, was camaraderie. Um, and in the industry it's, it uh, was very high and still is. Um, some of my ex-diving colleagues that uh, I work with offshore in the 80s are still some of my closest friends. And the uh, friends that I quite happily uh, trust my life with mm-hmm. um, so um, happy days happy memories Excellent. have you got any interesting stories from uh, those camaraderies <laughs> <laughs> well yes I do but none that I could share with you <laughs> <in this podcast. laughs> fair enough <laughs> um, so something we're going to be doing during all the podcasts at the end is uh, 
few uh, quick fun questions, and the first of which is uh, the desert island style question. What three items would you take with you if you were stuck on a desert island? Oh, I don't know. You've put me in the spot now. Yeah. Um, three things. Uh, yeah, probably uh, my iPhone. <laughs> that probably wouldn't be allowed. Uh, and uh, I would uh, probably um, take my um, uh, my multi-purpose uh, pen knife, perhaps. Uh, the third <laughs> Very thing. practical. You know, yeah. uh, I I need to think. I love cycling, um, and um, you know, I'd probably. There probably wouldn't be any place I could cycle on my desert island, but as long as I had my music, some form of communication, um, I could have an absolute ball. Yeah. For a short spent, uh, period of time. <laughs> I like my own company sometimes, just to contemplate and sit back Absolutely. and think the peace and quiet. So. Has yours changed since the last one, Phoebe? I can't remember what I was last time. <laughs> it's like cheese, my cat, and something else. It's something like that. <laughs> no, no, it's still the same. <laughs> I might bring a bottle of wine this time. That's a good shout. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. Yeah. I'll probably still take some, uh, some form of music. Probably a mask and snorkel thinking about it if it's a desert island. And then... Spear to catch some fish. Practically. You take a spear? Mm. I'd, probably take, I'd probably just take water because I can't survive. I won't really old school. I mean, like, watering a fishing rod. I was like, full on caveman, get the ah. spear out. <laughs> so our next one. If you were stranded in the water somewhere and there was one species that you wanted to see more than anything, and which one would you really not want to see? Which one would I not want to see? Nothing like getting put in a spot here. <laughs> How many more of these questions have you got? <laughs> I did listen to the last podcast, so I don't know. Uh, one species I wouldn't like to see, uh, probably a boxfish jellyfish. Good, cool. Good, yeah, cool. Not nice. But I'm not a marine scientist like you eminent people, so uh, I wouldn't be able to answer that with as much skill and expertise as you two guys. <laughs> and one that you would want to see? Um, maybe a dolphin, I don't know. They've got kind of a peaceful kind of... Um, you know, quite frankly, yeah. you know, they can be. Uh, they can uh, be quite aggressive. They can be, yeah, 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 they can be uh-huh. very um, intrusive of your personal space. <laughs> I think, I think there's the, the the one species which everybody would obviously say in the middle of the ocean if they were swimming around with maybe sharks. Uh, I, I would be keeping telling myself that uh, all you experts in that area tell me that uh, sharks are not so aggressive as it makes them out to be, so I wouldn't be too concerned. But I don't know if I was swimming around and I saw a fin coming for me, um, I would be convincing myself very well. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're friendly until they're presented otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then obviously we work with a lot of technology, as you know, um, you've worked with a lot of technology in the past as well, but one thing that not a lot of people would think about is what's one item of tech you wish wasn't invented? Um, the mobile phone. I know I said it's, I, I know yeah. it's a contradiction in what, uh, but for different reasons. Yes. Uh, I, the mobile phone is an essential uh, piece of everybody's itinerary nowadays. Uh, but I think it affects everybody in every walk of life. There are huge advantages in communication uh, with mobile phones um, in terms of being able to keep in touch with people. But social media uh, can be very positive, but it can be very negative as well. Agreed. Whether it's uh, whether it's with uh, my grandchildren finding ways to keep them off their phones at the age of seven or eight. Uh, we have to accept uh, the fact that mobile phones uh, are with us uh, from now f- till ever, uh, forever more, uh, but in every walk of life, uh, it's a constant source of um, um, 
uh, trouble uh, mm -hmm. in certain areas, social media, whether it's you've got to be very careful how you use face Facebook, um, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a big one. I think you're right one. in saying that mobile phones are going to be with us for forever now, but I think there is at the moment, well, certainly from my opinion, there's a lot of people that were heavily invested in maybe social media and being on their phone all the time a few years ago, and it's slowly moving towards coming away from that a little bit, I think. People are realising that yeah, it can be quite so detrimental. Yeah. Um, I certainly, I've made a concerted effort to spend less time on the phone mm -hmm. now. And even, I mean, <laughs> last night I was at a, a concert and it was great to see maybe a few years ago when I went to one, there'd be people just stood mm -hmm. there with their phones. Yeah. It, there was practically no one with their phones up now, which is excellent, because that's how it was 15 years ago. Yeah, that's and right. It should be. It's now gone full circle. Yeah, so it was a bit of a novelty in those days. I mean, I, I despite my negative comments, uh, I couldn't live without my mobile phone, and that's a terrible indictment. But I, I'm not the only one. I've Most people can't anymore. Um, if, and it, you know, if I don't have my mobile phone beside me, um, I would kind of feel half-dressed. You know? Yeah. And it's, you know, I shock myself. But I'm no different from anybody else, and I'm not constantly on it all the time like mm -hmm. some people are. Mm -hmm. But yes, you're right. There is a there is a move away from uh, mobile phone technology. With uh, with my uh, kids, I see kids. They're now all over twenty five. Um, but um, you know, they're, they're they're not constant. Everything's in perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the younger age groups that are the it's biggest concern. Worrying. I think. Yeah. yeah. Sure. We should all go back to like the Nokia bricks that you could just get snake on. That I would be yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would be lovely. I had that for one summer a few years back when my phone broke and it was liberating. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, thank you very much, Malcolm, for coming on and being our guest today. It's been great. Yeah, thank nice. you for having me. Thank you. Can't wait till you next come down and visit us from the Scottish branch, or maybe we'll come see you. Yeah, yes. certainly will. I look forward to that as well, as I will look forward to coming down here again. Excellent. Cool. Thanks, Malcolm. Thank you. Oof, what an interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't remember how it went. Um, so, guys, that is the end of our fourth, third, third, I think. Third. That is the end of our third podcast episode. Um, how have we got this far? <laughs> I don't know. I hope you're enjoying them and we'll stay tuned because we'll have another one next month. We've got some nice guests lined up. So uh, thank you for continuing to listen. If you are one of our regular listeners or if it's your first one, I hope you will listen again. And thank you for listening to Nathan's Rambling every week. Oh, month, every month. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Take Professional. Care. Bye. Bye.